Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. God has a game plan. And sometimes, I'll admit, you probably would think to yourself, it's kind of tough to see what that game plan is. In fact, it's downright challenging to try and get a handle on what God's game plan is for our lives. It definitely stretches us sometimes when we go through things in our lives and we, we're told from up front here, we're told when we read the Bible... We're told uh, when we're in our growth groups or in a 101 or 201 or 301 class that God has a plan for our lives. It stretches us because sometimes it's just downright hard to believe that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. Frankly, there are times when we're going through the equivalent of getting hit up the side of the head so hard that our head is spinning. I remember when I... uh, I uh, played high school football. There were times when I would not see the guy coming to block me. We'll talk a little bit about that more. But do you ever, do you ever get hit so hard and you just did not expect, you didn't see that, that blocker, that tackler coming, and he just rocks you? That's exactly what life does to us sometimes. It, it rocks us. It knocks the snot out of us. And so... What, what do we do when life is rocking us, and yet on the other hand, we read in the Bible that God has a plan in our lives? How do we keep the faith? How, how do we know that even during those tough times, God is right there in his love for us? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about those moments when we get rocked back on our heels, and yet the Bible is still saying God has a game plan for us and how we can be assured about that game plan. You know, it's tough if you don't believe there's a game plan, isn't it? Imagine being in a football game. This reminds me, actually, of some of my high school football games. Imagine being in a football game where you're just getting beaten all over the field, and you're sitting there wondering... Does the coach have a game plan? Does he have any thought about where we're going, what we're doing, why we're supposed to be here? And you're just getting hit left and right. It's so much more discouraging to try to live a life if we don't believe that our God has a game plan for our lives. And that's why it's so important for us to start out with this passage from Isaiah 46 that at the very base at least assures us once again that God has a game plan. Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 46. See what this says? Remember the things I have done in the past. For I alone am God. I am God. And there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. 
for I do whatever I wish. That's a, a beautiful passage. God, in fact, says, I want you to look back. Do you see how all the, the shocking, knock-your-socks-off moments in the past, he tells his people, have led up to something good for you? Check out the past. There's always been a plan in the past. And I promise you, as you go into the future, he says, I can tell you what's happening even before it happens. I have a game plan for your life. So what are some of the situations where we need to know that God has a game plan for our lives? I want to talk about this in terms of football. We're starting the football season. I want to break it down into when we're on offense, God has a game plan. When we're playing defense, God has a game plan. And even when we're playing special teams, God has a game plan for our lives. We're going to talk a little bit about, first of all, when we're on offense. And, and what I mean by when we're on offense is those moments in our lives when we're stepping forward into life. Those moments when we're saying to, to ourselves, let's go for it. We can do this. This is something really exciting. It's an opportunity. I want to step forward and I want to attack life. Let's go for it. Ever have moments like that in your life? Where you're asking yourself, maybe even wavering back and forth a little bit about a big decision in your life. Should I buy this house? Should we have babies? Should we um, make this investment? And, it, and it's exciting to think about it. Julie and I have had moments like that in our lives. We got a phone call one evening at about 7 o'clock in the evening. And it was at the seminary, the very last day of seminary before graduation, a day at the seminary that's called call day. means you get your first assignment into the ministry. And we had been told that all the assignments for overseas had already been handed out. And so we were pretty sure that we were going to go somewhere uh, in the States. And then we get this phone call out of the blue, 7 p.m. at night, long after all the assignments overseas are supposed to be done. And the man on the end of the phone is a man whose voice I recognize, Tate Sauer. And he said, I need you to come into the seminary. We were at our apartment. And I want to talk to you about serving the Lord overseas in Africa. And he says on the phone, he says, I, I don't know. I don't know uh, if you can make this decision as quickly as we need you to make it, but unfortunately, I can only give you probably about two hours to make this decision because if, if the Lord should lead you to say no, we're going to have to go on to the next person because we have to find someone before the assignments are all issued tomorrow. So we went in and, and we listened and... Um, we went into a little room down in the basement of the seminary library and we, we talked with each other and we prayed. And after a little while, we said, let's go for it. Let's, let's do this. I think this is what God is leading us to do. You've had moments like that in your life where it's a big decision. It's going to mean a big change in your life. And you say, let's go for it. What is it? When you step into a situation like that, that will lead you and that will help you to believe that this is all God working his game plan in your life. 
You know, I believe that's important. Because after Julie and I arrived in Africa, I can tell you, it wasn't always grand adventure. Pretty soon, moving to Africa started to show its rough edges a little bit. And anytime you make a let's go for it decision, it's exciting at first. But then you start to realize that that let's go for it decision has often led you into a pond of muck. Right? Ever had that happen? Let's go for it. We're all enthusiastic and excited. And then all of a sudden, boom, what was I thinking? What in the world? And I want you to get the wrong impression. We had 14 awesome years in Africa. Julie and I did. But that, those years were not without their challenges. Learning to live in the African bush with only one town day uh, uh, a week where you could get some supplies. No phone connection. It was truly unusual for us to be able to call our folks maybe once or twice a year because not only were the phone services so bad, it was expensive. Six, seven dollars a minute to call back home. We, uh, we got into the rainy season and we found out how just traveling anywhere almost certainly means you're going to get stuck literally in the mud. And, and I could go on. I mean, it was a great experience, but it was not without its challenges. And I, often, I believe that often when we make let's go for it decisions, we also get stuck in the muck from those let's go for it decisions. And we need to believe that when we're on the offense... God has a game plan for our lives. So let's take a look at some passages. First of all, I put uh, Romans 5.9. This is from the exact same chapter that we're reading, verses 1 to 5. Four verses later in verse 9, Paul says this, and I love this. I took this from the God's Word to the Nations translation. Take a look at, uh, at what Paul writes. Now that his blood has declared us righteous. By the way, this is in your crosswalk notes. I should have mentioned that. Now that his blood has declared us righteous, we are all the more certain he will save us from God's anger. If while we were his enemies, we were made God's friends by the death of his son, now that we are his friends, we are all the more certain he will save us by his life. I want you to do something. I want you to interact with this passage for a minute. Will you circle the two times in there it says certain? I want you to circle those. We are all the more certain he will save us from God's anger. And then in the last sentence, he says it again. We are all the more certain he will save us by his life. And then I also want you to circle the word God's friends and his friends in verse 10. The most important part of God's game plan, especially when we're on the offense, is for us to have certainty. Certainty that God does have a plan and that he is on our side and that he loves us, loves us enough that he sent his one and only son for us to make us, and that's where I had you circle his friends, to make us his friends. By nature, we're God's enemies because of sin. And to be honest, we always sort of suspect, even after we're Christ followers, that God is still a little bit ticked off with us. And so when we make a go-for-it decision, 
And then we start to step in the muck as the result of that go-for-it decision. We start to scratch our heads and say, did I make a mistake? Is God punishing me? Did I make the wrong decision? Maybe God is angry with me. And it's at those times when we're on the offense that we need to be certain that in Christ we are God's friends. It's nothing we do. It's all because of what he's done for us by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And that's why it's all the more certain. Because it doesn't depend on me to be God's friend. It's all on God that I'm God's friend. He's done it all. And that leads us into the next verse. Take a look at that verse. This is from the text that we're studying. The very first two verses of Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. See, that's another way of saying we're God's friends. We used to be enemies. Now we're not. We're at peace with God through the blood of Christ. He even says that. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. We can walk right into God's throne room when our life is a mess. We've gained access to him by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Would you underline or circle, we have peace with God? This is the thing that is the most important thing about God's game plan when we're making, let's go for it, let's be on the offense decisions about life. Walk through life knowing that you are God's child. That he loves you. That the conflict that was due to your sin, that was there and was real, is now over. You have peace with God. You all do through Jesus Christ. And so do I. And then I want you to especially underline grace in which we now stand. Put stars by that. That's a beautiful phrase. If you ever watch that show, Dirty Jobs, you're going to notice that he often wears waders because he's doing dirty jobs. And he's in the muck, right? And so what does he do? He puts on the waders. He stands inside waders so that when he's marching around in the muck, of something that he said, let's go for it, right? I mean, he's on the offense. Here's a dirty job, but I'm going to go for it. What does he do? He puts on the waders so that when he gets into the muck of a dirty job, he can pull those waders off later, and he's still going to be clean. And that's exactly what Paul is saying about God's grace. God's grace are like a pair of waders. When we have God's grace in our lives. It's like putting on those big, tall rubber boots. And we walk around and we're tempted. We're tempted sometimes to be discouraged or to lose our faith. We're tempted by other kinds of temptations in life. And we fall. We sin. But because of God's grace, those waiters in which we now stand, we remain clean. And all that muck sticks to God's Waiters, God's grace, and, and Jesus collects it all for us. How awesome to know that no matter where we go in life, 
We have God's undeserved love, his grace, in which we can stand so that sin cannot impact us. So here's our first point. When we're on offense in life, when we're having those let's go for it moments, let's have confidence because confidence is God's game plan for the offense. And that's why in these verse two verses from Romans 5, it says this, we have been justified through faith. Through having confidence in God. We have peace with him through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he says it, through whom we have gained access by faith. By having confidence in God into this grace in which we now stand. You see, what he's really saying is our confidence in God, our faith, is literally, those are literally the hands that pull the waiters on. Okay? Let's move on to our second point. You know and I know that we're not always on offense in life, are we? Just like in a real football game. There are many times in life when we're on defense, where instead of us coming at life and saying, let's go for it, life seems to be saying, let's go for it toward us. And is coming at us, coming at us hard. That's really the whole idea behind this sermon series as a whole, full contact life. You ever see one of those NFL films? I was watching one yesterday afternoon as I was writing the sermon. I know I can multitask. (laughs) Amazing to see some of those hits. Man, guys were spinning. They were just out of the blue being knocked sideways. Helmets were flying off. And that's exactly how I sometimes feel about my life. I bet you feel that way about life sometimes too. That life is coming at you hard and it is knocking you silly. What do we do when we're on the defense and life is coming at us hard? I came across a story of a man named Robert Rogers and his wife, Melissa. They and their children five years ago on Labor Day, Labor Day 2003, were headed to a friend's birthday party. They went and enjoyed the birthday party together. Uh, Robert, his wife, Melissa, and their four young children. And uh, it was an amazing thing. And they got back into their van after the party and and on their way home, they were going through a low point in the road and completely out of the blue, a flash flood came, a big seven-foot wall of water, and it hit their van broadside in Texas. And before they knew it, their van was entirely engulfed by this flood. Can you imagine being in that situation? A few days later, when Robert was describing it, he said it it, it stunned him. He didn't know what to do. And he was actually uh, bragging about his wife. He said, I was amazed at my wife because when this happened and uh, the water began to fill the van, my wife began to sing hymns with the children. She began to sing Christian songs that they had learned. And she began to pray with them. Meanwhile, Robert unbuckled himself and lay back and began to try to kick out the window. And he succeeded. But when he succeeded, the current literally sucked him and his wife and their eight-year-old daughter out of the van, leaving the three younger children who were buckled into into their seats inside the van. 
Robert got swept to the bank of the river. But no one saw or, or heard from his children until hours later, or his wife, until hours later when the rescuers found the van completely underwater and inside the three younger children had died. A few more hours later, his eight-year-old daughter was discovered, washed up on the opposite bank of the river from where Robert had been washed up, and again, she too had drowned in the flood. Finally, another day later, Robert's wife's body, Melissa's body, was discovered, also drowned. Can you imagine being in a situation like that? And, and yet, here's what Robert says. Even I, I'm not sure other than to say it's only by God's grace and by God's strength that anyone could say words like this. Because they're really shocking words. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm not bitter against God. That's not bitter against God. I'm not bitter against God. I've had a full, abundant life. And I'm fully persuaded that somehow, by his grace, God will turn this tragedy into good. I have to confess apart from the miraculous power of God working in a man's heart and mind, I do not know how anyone could say words like that after going through a tragedy like that. And yet, that's what he says. And here's the amazing thing. Five years later, he's still living out those words. Those words were spoken two or three days after the tragedy, and today, five years later, he is living out his confidence in God's game plan for his life. He was an electrical engineer when he said those words. Today, he's a minister and a missionary. And shortly after he said those words, he made a pact with himself. He said, because I've lost my wife and my children... I'm going to start orphanages, and I'm going to start five orphanages on five different continents, and I'm going to do that for the glory of God, because God is good, despite the circumstances that have happened to me in my life. He's already built the first one in Russia, and he's in the process right now as we speak of building the second one in the country of Rwanda. Now, where does that come from? That is amazing to me, probably amazing to you. Look at what James says. I put this in your crosswalk notes. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. You remember what the uh, mission statement of Crosswalk Church is? You all have that memorized, right? 
Crosswalk Church is devoted to, to teaching God's words and promises so that the Holy Spirit will transform people into, now listen carefully to these last words, into fully developed followers of Christ. Now take a look again at that James passage. Fully developed followers of Christ. Verse 4. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It means the same thing. Mature and complete, not lacking anything in your faith. Fully developed followers of Christ. Now, I may have neglected to tell you this in the membership class, so let me clear something up. When you become a member of Crosswalk Church and you say, I want to become a fully developed follower of Christ. I want my faith to become strong and mature, right? You're also signing up to be on the defense. You're signing up to have stuff happen in your life. And that's not just by becoming a member of Crosswalk. That's how I just stated it. But it's really by following Jesus that that happens. When the Holy Spirit draws you into a relationship with Jesus Christ, because that's how it happens. He is drawing you into trouble and a, and a hardship. Because Paul says, when we, or James says right there, and Paul says it too, that when we begin to walk the walk of faith, one of the ways that God will help us develop our faith is through hardship and suffering. Because suffering develops perseverance, which leads to you being mature and complete in your faith, not lacking anything. And it's important we learn how to have a mature faith. And let me, let me give you an illustration that shows you why it's important. First of all, I want you to know that even if you have the smallest faith, even if it's just like a little spark or like a piece of grass that's hanging on just by the thinnest of its skin, you have eternal salvation. Similar to a football game, right? If you're carrying the ball, you may be just barely hanging on to the ball. There were some of those scenes on the, on the show I watched yesterday. Guys just reaching for the goal line with the ball just barely in his hands. But if it crosses the plane of the goal, what happens? Six points, right? Touchdown. Your salvation does not depend on the strength of your faith in one sense. Isaiah says, God will never snuff out a smoking wick. And he will never break off a broken reed. Yet, if you're playing football, and those of you who have, and if you happen to be one that gets to carry the ball very often, the coach who knows very well that even if you're about to fumble it when you go across the, the, the goal line, will always teach you to do what with the ball when you're in the red zone? Does he say carry it like a loaf of bread? You know, two fingers on the ball? Or does he say, tuck it away, put both hands on it, get it solid? You know what the answer is. And that's what James and Paul are telling us. And they're telling us that 
Even when we're on the defense, the way to build a strong, mature, fully developed faith is to tuck it away in your heart and in your mind. And trouble and suffering are part of that process. Let's take a look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Why would we rejoice in our sufferings? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Circle that word perseverance. Because that's the key word that begins the chain. Suffering comes at us. We have no control over that. The very first thing that you and I have control over with the help of the Holy Spirit is, are we going to persevere? Are we going to keep going? Are we going to keep believing? Are we going to keep the faith? Suffering produces perseverance. If we, if we persevere, Paul writes, perseverance produces character. It changes who we are so that we become more Christ-like, more servant-minded, more resilient, stronger in our faith. And then finally, character produces hope. And that's something that we all want to have. And it's what Robert Rogers had when his entire family was swept away. He had hope because he had character, because he had perseverance, because he had faith. A faith produced by the Holy Spirit. So here's our second point. Perseverance is God's game plan for the defense. When I taught high school here, I told my students consistently, I've said it a few times here, I'll say it again today. My personal favorite word is perseverance. Because if there's anything I think that leads to tucking the ball of faith away, it's perseverance. And particularly perseverance in being in touch with the means of grace, which we're going to talk about next. Because the means of grace is where God empowers us so that we can persevere. Let's talk a little bit about our last point, which is going to be about God's game plan for special teams. Now, I always like to think of special teams this way. Special teams is for the radical player, right? Sometimes special teams players are not the biggest guy on the team. They're not the strongest or the tallest guy on the team. But you play special teams... Even though you may lack the skill that a starter has because you have a zeal and a passion for the game. You have to have that. Imagine that you're running full tilt down the field with one focus, the guy who's just caught the ball, and you are, your whole goal is to lay him down so that he cannot run away from you with the ball. It's not easy to be on special teams. In fact, those are the times where we most often don't notice that thing coming in from the side, that blocker coming in from the side, and where we ourselves are going to get knocked flat because we're so intent and so passionate about what's going on. And what can happen when we're playing special teams is what I call pop-ups. You know what pop-ups are, don't you? It's when you're running down the field on special teams, right? And you're intent on the guy with the ball, and you're just going to blast him over, and bam, you get sideswiped. 
And you're laying on your back and the little stars are swirling around your head and you say, where'd that guy pop up from? And we have pop-ups in our lives too, don't we? Hurricane Ike, for the people on the Texas coast, is a, is a pop-up. Even though they live in Hurricane Alley and they know that it can happen, still, I don't think anyone ever expects something like that to happen to me, really. You always think, ah, I made it through the last one, I'll make it through this one. Robert Rogers had a major pop-up happen in his life. He was just driving home from a party. And that flood swept his van away. You have pop-ups in your life. And by the way, not all pop-ups are bad. I mean, there can be pop-ups that are good. I remember when Julie and I first heard the news that we were going to have our first child. That was a major, exciting, good pop-up. Wow, we're going to have a child. It's such an awesome thing, right? And then you realize later on that you're going to have to send that child to college. Or hope that he gets a great scholarship like my oldest son did and he could send himself to college. And that takes a lot of prayer too. You see, so you're going to have those pop-ups. That's special teams play. Where did that pop up from? And how do you deal with those pop-ups that honestly, I think, are the events that most threaten to steal our faith? Remember, what we're talking about today is God has a game plan for your life. And it's when we begin to go, really, should I really believe in God? Because why would he allow that to pop up in my life? And we start to have our doubts and it becomes difficult, a real struggle to keep the faith. That's when we need that reassurance. And so let's go back to Romans chapter 5. We're going to go down the page from Romans 5, 1 to 5 a little bit. To verses 20 and 21. Put this in your crosswalk notes too. And this verse starts out in a really kind of weird, shocking way. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. Let's, let's just tee off on that one for just a quick second. Really? God gave us his commandments so that sins would increase? That's what it says. I thought God gave us the commandments so that we could learn to be better people. So that sin would decrease. That's not what it says. What does it mean? What it means is that whenever we have the law in front of us, guess what happens? You know. Because you've done it. So have I. What? You didn't make a rule? Don't cross that line. Don't you dare cross that line. I'm doing the, the, the before and after school program right now over at Eagle. Oh, man, I got five, six, seven, and eight-year-olds, right? Kids, let's do this. You know, you stay over there. Right? Wherever laws are made... Temptation increases. Rules 
don't restrict sin. Rules actually increase sin. And furthermore, they increase our awareness of sin. How would I know what it means to sin unless God says, this is what sin is. Sin is not putting me first. Sin is not respecting my name and using it properly. Sin is, sin is when you don't think I'm important enough to worship me regularly. Sin is not obeying your father and your mother. It's, it's hating someone and even wanting to murder someone at times. It's committing adultery, even lusting for someone. All of that is what sin is. Now that I'm aware of sin, not only do I want to sin more, I'm more aware that what I'm doing is sin. So the law was added so that sin might increase. Why, why is that needed? That's needed because we need to have a reason to have a Savior. If I ain't a sinner, why do I need Jesus? If I'm not guilty, if there's no reason for me to be ashamed of myself at times, why do I need forgiveness? So the law was added to make us get real. Get real with ourselves. And go, you know what? What you're doing, and this is what I say to the, um, to the five, six, seven, and eight-year-olds, what we're doing is making some poor choices. In God's sight, we're making some poor choices according to God's law. And we need to know that because that knowledge leads us directly to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The law was added so that sin might increase. Let's go on. But where sin increased, and here's the beautiful thing, grace, which you know, or maybe you don't, grace means God's undeserved love. God's undeserved love increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign. Grace rules through righteousness. And when that happens, it brings eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When pop-ups happen, we're prone to sin. But when pop-ups happen, we need to realize that wherever we sin more, God's grace always increases more, and it covers that sin. Wherever sin increases, grace grows even more. God's love grows even more. Be confident in that love. Know that it's there. And know that that love for you will never end. It's so important that you understand that. Take a look at the last verse in the, in the text that we're studying today. Notice what Paul writes. Hope does not disappoint us. Why not? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. About every three months or so, we've committed to having the Lord's Supper in our service. We don't usually do it that way. Usually we do it between services and after the second service. On certain Sundays, we just really feel that Holy Communion matches the message of the day. And the last message that you're hearing right now is that God has poured out His love for you. And what better picture 
of God pouring out his love for you. And then the picture of the bread and the wine. God's true body and God's true blood that were sacrificed for you. And when we receive Holy Communion today, we still receive God's true body and God's true blood given and shed for us. And along with that, amazing blessings, all intended to assure us and reassure us that God has poured out his love for us into our hearts. What an amazing thing that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you so that you could see that love and it could be tangible. And what an amazing thing that still today God gives us forgiveness, new life, and salvation through his means of grace, his word, baptism, the Lord's Supper still pours those out into us, really pours them out by giving him, giving us Christ's true body and true blood. That's an amazing, amazing thing. But it's also a mysterious thing. Something that we need to have a little bit more knowledge to truly understand and, and be a part of. That's why here at Crosswalk Church we say that it's... Uh, it's something that we reserve for those who've gone through our 201 class because we want everyone to clearly know the miracle that's taking place in Holy Communion through that means of grace. I hope that as you see our members come forward this morning, that if you're not yet a graduate of 201, it will still be a reminder to you of how God has, has poured out his love into into all of our hearts through his grace. And I hope also that it'll be a little bit of a, a spur, quite honestly, to get into our 101 and 201 classes so that, you can have, so that you can have this understanding of what Christ has done for you and, and understand how he truly does pour out his love into our hearts. Remember I was talking about perseverance a moment ago? The most important kind of perseverance is the kind that perseveres in the means of grace. Because that's exactly what they are, means of grace. They are instruments by which God graces us. And those three means of grace are very simple. They're the Bible. We read the Bible. We, we tap into God's grace. Baptism. When the water is poured over us, we tap into God's grace. And Holy Communion. And so, as we uh, transition now from this message into Holy Communion, I want this thought to rest on your mind. God has a game plan for you. Whether it's you being on the offense, or you being on the defense, or you playing special teams and pop-ups are happening in your life, remember that God has a game plan and it involves His love a love that he wants to pour out into your hearts the way he poured out his son for you on the cross. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you've called us to be your children. And Lord, we fully recognize that as your children, still, while we are saints, we are also sinners. As we approach your table this morning, 
We ask that you would forgive us our sins, whether they're sins of thoughts, words, or deeds. Help us to get real with ourselves and to see the sin that's in our lives, to acknowledge it, and yet at the same time, Lord, to realize that where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Your love always has the last word, Lord. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus so that our forgiveness could be assured. Help us to be confident that we are yours. And help us when life is is coming at us hard to, to be persevering. And finally, Lord, help us to show the same kind of love toward others that you first showed to us. Lord, you are an amazing God, and we celebrate that this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.